I gotta ask you, have, have you ever wanted to run away? You know, the thought crossed my mind when I was thinking about coming out here and teaching on Psalm 55. I'm like, God, this is, the preaching is really hard. I'm, I'm really nervous. What if I just, what if I just, I don't have my car here, but what if I just started running down a uh, 10th line and, and just got away? Maybe Andrew or someone else could get up and, and preach. Uh, so sometimes I get nervous before I'm supposed to speak and I just, I just want to run away. Maybe you're in a relationship that's getting really difficult. Maybe you're, you're married and you're having so much conflict and it's just so hard. It's such an uphill battle and you just start thinking, well, may, maybe separation or, or divorce. Maybe we should just cut our losses here at this point. Maybe, maybe you're facing so much pressure at work and the, the, the demands were, were already mounting and then add on top of that all of either more work or less work due to the due to the COVID restrictions and you just feel like I just I just need to quit I just need a different job I just can't handle doing what I'm doing maybe the the battle against mental health or against depression it just seems so overwhelming and you're so filled with despair and your mind goes to some very dark places all you want is escape all you want is relief. Do you ever feel like that? That's how the psalmist in Psalm 55 was feeling. He felt like he had no other option but to run away. We're told in the opening notes that it, this was written to the choir master, so this, these lyrics were written and then were to be passed on to sort of the chief musician to get the singers and the orchestra together. It was supposed to be played here with stringed instruments. It says that it's a mascal. Mascal means understanding. It probably means that this is a psalm that we're not just supposed to sing, but we're supposed to meditate on and get understanding. We're supposed to gain wisdom from the content of this Psalm. Then it says in verse 1, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. The psalmist cries out to God, asking for mercy. He says, Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me. And in anger, they bear a grudge against me. This is how the psalmist is feeling. He's carrying a burden. The title for today's message is, Cast Your Burden on the Lord. And as we move through this psalm, and as you noticed, as Alex was reading it, that this psalm is quite difficult to structure. Sometimes he's talking to God. Sometimes he's talking to himself. Sometimes he's talking about enemies, sort of in a vague general sense, in the plural. Sometimes he's talking very personally about one specific enemy. Well, we're going to try to piece together this psalm that seems so disjointed that some biblical scholars even venture to say that this is, just a, this is just a mashup. This is just a medley of two or three psalms that have no, can I, don't, I don't think that's right. I think this is just life is messy. And because life is messy, the psalmist finds himself in a messy situation. And so the psalm is messy. And he's crying out. He's pouring out to God. He's taking this burden. And you know when you're carrying a burden, you're a little bit wobbly. You're not walking perfectly straight and, and upright. No, you're sort of stumbling your way through it. And that's what we see here. That the psalmist is carrying this burden. And he feels like there's no 
other option than to run. What do we do in those situations? Here's the first thing. We've got to acknowledge the allure of escape. We've got to acknowledge the allure of escape. Now, as we get into this week's outline, I just want to make a quick note about last week's outline. Every now and again, when I'm studying God's Word, I'll come across the way another Bible scholar or another preacher outlined a passage, and sometimes I'll just use their outline. And every time, I acknowledge that I do that. But last week, I think it was too hot, or we're outside, I was distracted. I forgot to give Danny Aiken, the seminary president at Southeastern Seminary down in North Carolina, I failed to give him credit. It was him who outlined Psalm 54, call on the Lord, trust in the Lord, and worship the Lord. That was his outline. I don't think he had actions, so the actions are mine, but the outline uh, was, was, uh, was by Danny Aiken, so I want to give him credit. Now, back to this outline. The first thing we need to do when we find ourselves in these situations, when we want to run, is to acknowledge that we want to run. You, 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 do you notice here, the, again, this is the refreshing honesty that we see in the Psalms. He says in, in verse 2, I'm restless. He, he just can't stand still. He's, he, he knows he wants to do something. He wants to run. He wants to escape. He's moving from this way to that way. He's directionless, but he's always moving. He's not getting anywhere. He's, it's like he's on a treadmill or like one of those torture things we put our hamsters in. He's just restless. He, he knows he needs to make progress. He knows something has to change. But he feels powerless to do anything about it. He's moaning. He can barely even get the words out. He's, mo he's just making inaudible sounds. This is how stressed out he is. Verse 3, he's making these moaning sounds, but it's the noise of the enemy that's bothering him. He just can't, he can't get quiet. He can't get stillness. He can't get the peace that he's longing for so desperately because of the noise of the enemy, the oppression of the wicked. He's feeling this pressure from the evil that is around him. It says that they drop trouble on me. It's like they're up there in the strategic safe location and they're hurling boulders at me. They're dropping trouble but they're holding on to something as well. They're dropping the trouble, but it says in anger they bear a grudge. They're holding on to a grudge that they have against David. Listen to how he describes his feelings in verse 4. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. I mean, the terrors of death, fear and trembling. He's overwhelmed. He's in anguish. He's experiencing anxiety and agony. He's painful and fearful feelings are, are just dominating his psyche right now. He's, he's having what we would sort of call in contemporary language, he's having so, somewhat of a, of a nervous breakdown. He, he can't handle it. And he sees as his only option, he acknowledges that his only option is that of escape. Verse 6, oh, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, and I would fly away and be at rest. Do you ever dream about that? Do you ever dream about not just quitting your job, but just walking out in the middle, you know, just getting up from your cubicle 
and just walking out the door, you sort of have the theme music playing in the, in the background. Do, do you ever dream about, uh, if, if, you're, if, if you're married, do you ever dream about what, what it would be like if you, were, if, if you weren't tied down? If, do you ever dream when you're surrounded, you're trying to raise these children, you're surrounded by all this noise and all this chaos, you just think, what if I just walked out the door right now? What if I, just, what if I could just fly away? like a dove. He says, verse 7, yes, yes, I would wander. I'd wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. Selah means lift up, which means sort of rest. The, like the, the, the in- instrumentalists were to lift their hands up from the, from the music. It was a, an opportunity to pause and reflect. So here's the psalmist saying, I'm in anguish. I'm in agony. I can't handle this. If I had wings like a dove, I'd fly away. I'd be at rest. He acknowledges the allure of escape. He says, In verse 8, I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. So now he fleshes out the whole metaphor. So he's a dove. He has wings. He can fly. There's a massive storm. And and he's going to quickly fly to somewhere that he can get out from the raging wind and the tempest. Out of the storm. He just wants to escape. Loved ones, we need to recognize and acknowledge that we all have an impulse to flee. We all have an instinctual desire to run away when things get hard. And our unwillingness to acknowledge it increases the likelihood of it actually happening. And this is why the the Psalms are instructive. This is a masculine. It gives us understanding. This is wise. It's wise for us to tell God, I feel like there's no other option but running. What are you running from? Pressure in your family, trouble at work, an ever-accumulating and compounding debt? You made some bad financial decisions a, a few years ago or a few months ago, and it's, it's, the reckoning is, is coming. Are you wanting to, to run away and escape from somehow the profound loneliness that you feel? And you're, you're so tired of being alone, you just want to run somewhere, anywhere. Do you want to run from our world? You want to run from from the news cycle and the spin and the lies. Do you want want to, when, when, when you actually stop and think about about the the ministry, a ministry like, like, like the Pregnancy Care Center, when you actually come to terms with, with what abortion is and how it is. Not just normalized, but celebrated in our when we when we think about that in our world. That's something that is so troubling, so disturbing, so heinous. Do you ever just want to run? 
What do you want to run to? Some of us, we, we want to physically, literally get away. You know, we just want to leave the city. We want to throw our phone in the garbage. We want to head somewhere in, in northern Ontario or, or something and, and just live off the grid. Some of, that's, that's a legitimate thing that some of us are considering right now. Some of us want to escape into entertainment, binge-watching this program or, or, or scrolling through the internet, learning all of these other things, or trying to get more information into us, escaping into this, into this other world. Some of us will escape into sexual sin and the desire for relief, the, the, the desire to, to feel good overflows into sexual sin. Some of us run to substance abuse. Escape, I don't want to think about it. I don't even want to think. I just want to feel okay. I just want to feel at rest. I just want a sailor. Well, if you want to run away, you got to acknowledge it. You also need to recognize that having that desire to run away puts you in, in pretty good company, okay? This is a Psalm of David, so he's pretty much an Old Testament major hero. Listen to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 9.2. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place that I might leave my people and go away from them. Jeremiah wanted to go. He didn't. The most courageous thing Jeremiah did was that he stayed but he, he, he had that same desire. Jeremiah, a prophet, there was another prophet, Elijah. He actually did try to run away, didn't he? In, in 1 Kings 19. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this tomorrow. Talking about the, the priests of Baal that uh, uh, Elijah proved wrong and then executed. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. David knew the allure of escape. Jeremiah understood that, that, that instinct to want to get away. Elijah, even after a moment of so much immense courage and seeing God come through in such an unquestionable way, also wanted to flee and to run away. We've got to acknowledge the allure for escape. Then secondly, understand this. We've got to call for divine justice. We've got a call for divine justice. One of the reasons why we want to run away is because we feel so powerless. We, we can't do it. We can't stop the evil that's happening around us. We can't prevent or, or, or mediate in, in any sort of way. So we ask God to. Look what he says in, in verse 9. And this, this might sort of take you a little bit off guard, but this is in the Bible. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, destroy Destroy, O oh Lord, divide their tongues. Now that might seem harsh. You might think, well, I mean, how can he speak like this? Aren't we supposed to love our enemies? Again, we are supposed to love our enemies. 
David isn't saying that he's going to destroy them. David is asking God to do what only God can do, to bring ultimate justice. He says, I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. This is all happening in the city. David's, this isn't just one isolated incident where David's really mad at, at someone it, or a group of people because it's affecting him personally. No, he looks at the city walls and he sees violence and strife. He looks in the city and he sees iniquity and trouble. He looks around the city and he sees ruin and oppression and fraud. Do you see all those words in verses 9 through 11? He uses seven words. Seven in Hebrew culture is the number of completion, the number of fullness. He's saying this city is full of violence to the utter degree. It's full of oppression. It's full of fraud. It's full of ruin. It's full of trouble. It's total. It's complete. I, I couldn't help but think of our brothers and sisters in places like Port-au-Prince, Haiti, or in, in Kabul, Afghanistan right now, where, where the city in, in Haiti has just been so overrun by gangs. The, the, prime minister, the, the president has, has been uh, murdered. There's been, there's been natural disasters there. There's the, it's an utter chaos. It's being run by evil people. And we've all, we've all seen talk about a desire to escape. I mean, the troubling images we've seen coming out of Af Afghanistan. And wh what do we do in these moments? Do we just click over to the next article? Do we just try to escape on to see if there's something that's a little more heartwarming that we could pay attention to in the news? No, we call for divine justice. Again, this isn't personal vindictiveness that David is going after. No, he knows, he knows the damage that is being done to his people, the people of the city. And so he calls out to God to bring about justice. He says in verse 9 that they would be destroyed. And then he says, divide their tongues. The psalmist here is making a reference back to an Old Testament story about another city, a city called Babel that was building a great tower that was filled with wickedness, that have their eyes off of God and onto what they could accomplish by their own humanist means. And God divided their tongues. He confused their languages. And, and the psalmist here is seeing what's going on in the city and how these evil oppressed, they, it's like they have a network. They have a scheme of communication. The way that they're all working in cahoots with one another. And David says, somehow God confused their communication. It seems so organized. Can you please disrupt it? And sometimes we can look at our world and we look at the way that big business and, and, and mainstream media and government and the institutions and, and the academy all seem to be working in perfect unison in our world right now. And we can't disrupt that. I mean, we're, just, we're just regular people, but we can pray. We can pray that God can bring about what only he can bring about. We can, just like the psalmist did, we can look to examples from how God has been faithful in the past and we can pray that he would do that right now. So in verses 9 to 11, David is speaking sort of about cultural evil, 
in a general sense. He's using plural to describe his enemies. But then notice in verse 12 to verse 15, he moves from the cultural to the personal. He moves from the plural to the singular. That in the middle of all of this evil, someone has personally betrayed the psalmist. Verse 12 says, for it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. He says, but it's you. Sorry, I was pointing at you. I didn't mean it was you. Sorry, I just was using a gesture. I'll point. It was, it was you. He says, it was, it was you. My, my, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. He says, if it was my enemy... I would have had my guard up. If if it was my enemy, I wouldn't have let you into my inner circle. If it was my enemy, I wouldn't have shared with you the things that I have shared with you. You were my friend, and you you used our intimacy in front. You used that against me. The psalmist here had been betrayed by a personal friend. He had let his guard down. Verse 14 says, we used to take sweet counsel together when God, within God's house, we walked in the throng. Now, we don't know specifically what circumstance David is describing here. Some people think this is Absalom's rebellion. David had an advisor named Ahithophel, who was Bathsheba's grandfather. And Ahithophel was, was David's main strategist and, and consultant an advisor, and Ahithophel joined Absalom when David's son Absalom tried to overthrow David as king. And David did pray, you know, sort of like divide their tongues. He did pray that Ahithophel's counsel would be brought to foolishness in 1 Samuel 15, 31. But the context doesn't quite fit because David seems to be writing in a city where he didn't find out about Ahithophel's betrayal until he had already, le- did, had already left for the wilderness. David wasn't dreaming about having wings like a dove and flying to the desert. He had already, he had already done that as soon as Absalom blew the, uh, blew the trumpet. Also, David didn't require this kind of harsh treatment. He, he told his military officers in, in chapter 18, verse 5, deal gently with Absalom. But in the psalm, he's saying, no, no, destroy, destroy. So chances are this is some other unrecorded moment in David's life. Maybe he's king at the time and he's talking about the city of Jerusalem. Maybe this is a time when Saul was king and he's talking about about Gibeah. That's the city that he's concerned about that is being turned into evil. Then in verse 15, he moves from the personal back to the plural, and, and the cultural, in verse 15, he says, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. Again, this song, he knows his Bible. He already talked about the Tower of Babel. Now he's talking about a moment in Numbers chapter 16 where this guy named Korah tried to lead a rebellion against Moses. And, and miraculously, Moses called for divine judgment. Moses didn't try, try to take matters into his own hands. Moses fell on his face and prayed. And then the ground literally opened up and swallowed Korah and all of the rebels. 
So David is praying here, God, do something like, we, we, I, I feel powerless, but I'm trusting in you to do something in this situation. It's important that we pray and call for divine justice. We're not just calling for justice in general. Our world has lost track of a lot of, our culture has skewed the definitions of, I feel like, just about every important word in the English language. But one word in particular that has been incredibly distorted and hijacked is the word justice. That where justice is, 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 is vindictive, it's, it's violent, it's, it's, it's completely subjective. There's no due process anymore. It's as soon as we find out a tiny little bit of information, we call for someone's head. There's no due process. Why do we have due process? We have due process. We have things like trials. We, we have things like juries and judges, not just tweets. Why do we have that? We have that because we are so, the, the Christian worldview recognizes that we have limited knowledge. That we don't know exactly what someone did or why they did it. We need to have a trial. We need to ask questions. We need a due process. Only God knows. And our, our whole judicial system is based on the fact that we don't know. Only God knows we don't know. But in our world, they said, no, no, because I feel this way, I'm, I'm going to call for my version, my brand, my skewed understanding of what justice is. But loved ones, we're to call on God to bring divine justice. And any time that we can, any time that we can, any time that, that we're involved in any kind of situation requiring justice, we need to make sure that we are not acting as though we are omniscient. Only God is omniscient. Only he knows all of the facts. That's why the psalmist here is entrusting this situation to the Lord. Proverbs 28 of verse 5 says, evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Where do we get our understanding of justice, loved ones? Not from social media, please. We get it from relating to the Lord, from knowing his word. I quoted this verse last week as well as it was also fitting. Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. David had been personally offended, and yet he is not taking vengeance into his own hands. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we've got to acknowledge the allure of escape. We've got to call for divine justice. And then thirdly, we have to practice the discipline of prayer. We have to practice the discipline of prayer. Yes, there are these crisis moments where we cry out to God, and that's what we have here in Psalm 55, but the psalmist also lets us know this wasn't just a one-time thing where, where David felt really overwhelmed and really anxious and in agony and fearful, and so he just prayed a prayer and then just left it at that. No, he was... He, he was devoted to prayer. He practiced the discipline. It was regularly a, a part of his life. Verse 16, but I call on God and the Lord will save me. Look at verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon, I will utter my complaint and moan. And he hears my voice. Evening, morning, and noon. That's the Hebrew way of saying 24 hours a day. 
You're like, why do they start with the evening? Well, in Hebrew culture, the day started at sundown. So we sang all day long, evening, morning, noon. I'm going to pray before I go to bed. I'm going to pray at dinner time. I'm going to pray in the morning. I'm going to pray at... I, I'm going to continue to seek the Lord on this issue until I see his justice come. I've got to practice the discipline of prayer. Look at the confidence he says in verse 17, after he says evening, morning, and noon, he says, I utter my complaint and I moan. He says, I'm not even going to use words sometimes, God. Sometimes, maybe my noon prayer, for me it would be my morning prayer. It's just sort of like, oh. I'm just going to moan. But you know, you know what's happening in my heart. Romans 8 says the Spirit is able to understand uh, 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 utterances that are too deep for words. This, the psalmist says, listen, I, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to moan. And then I love what it says. He hears my Voice. We need to remind ourselves of that when we pray, that God is listening, that he hears us when we pray. He says he's, he hears. Verse 18, he redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. I will give e God will give ear and humble them who is enthroned from of old. Selah. There's another lift up moment, another rest moment. Now, where was the, where was the first Selah again? Do you guys remember when, when he said Selah the first time? That was when he was dreaming about getting away. He was thinking about this place. All he wanted to be was far away from his problem. Now he's saying Selah again, but where is he now? Look where he is. God who was enthroned from of old. This is where true rest, where the true Selah actually comes from when we're before the throne of God. Loved ones, it's actually not a bad thing to want to run. But the question, the fundamental question, the most important question when we find ourselves in these kind of crises is not just what we're running from, but what we're running to. Because if all we're focused about is what we're running from and, and the problems, the trials in our life or in our world, then we will run to things like substance abuse and sexual sin and whatever it may be. But if we are focused not just on what we're running from, but what we're running to, if we run to the throne of God, then we will truly find rest. We don't run away from our struggles. We run towards God's throne that's where we will truly find peace. That's where we will truly find a Selah. Verse 19, it said, God will give ear and humble them. He will answer the prayer of these prideful, evil people running the city. It says, they do not change and they do not fear God. Again, the psalmist, he has a heart. He wants them to change. He wants them to turn to the Lord. But they're not changing he wants to see repentance, but they do not fear God and they will not change. Then again, sort of in a scatterbrained fashion, because of the circumstances, David flips back now to the personal offense. Verse 20, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. 
You know, it's, it's interesting, it, you know, David is writing the psalm and he legitimately felt a sense of betrayal from this close friend whenever it was, but Psalm 55, it says it's the psalm of David, but Psalm 55 could have been written by Uriah. David's words to Uriah were smooth as butter. They were soft as oil, but there was war in his heart. He invited him over to his house, and he sent him with the letter that, that gave his, his instructions for how he should be killed. I mean, we all can experience stress and hardship in our relationships and work, but we also need to understand and recognize that, that we can be the cause of those things as well. And we, we don't know the circumstances under which this psalm was written. We, we just don't know. Sometimes the psalms give us little notes at the beginning to tell us the, the, the background story. We don't know here. We don't know specifically what David was going through at the time, why he was writing in that moment. But we know that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David was not just writing about David. David was also writing prophetically about the son of David. And you, you can see how, I mean, Jesus' life and David's life sort of parallel one another. It's called typology in the Bible, that, that you have these printed stamps, and that there's the ultimate stamp, the thing that is making the, the, the print, that's called the type, or the anti-type. And what Jesus went through, I mean, he had a friend who he had sweet counsel with. He had a friend who spoke words like soft oil, like smooth Butter, his name was Judas. And Judas exploited that relationship. He used his closeness to Jesus to accomplish his own evil plan. Jesus is the son of David. And listen, David deserved divine judgment just like the evil people in the city deserved divine judgment. But Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He went to the cross and suffered and died on the cross so that David could be forgiven, so that whoever offended or betrayed David could have the potential to be forgiven, and so that I could be forgiven and that all of us could be forgiven. Jesus experienced that betrayal. He went through all of that anguish so that we could be forgiven. He lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we deserved to die. And then we come to verse 22 where it says, cast your burden on the Lord. This is really the conclusion. This is what we are to do when we feel like running, when we feel like we can't go on. We cast our burden onto the Lord. And this is, this is what's really interesting, what it says next. And he will sustain you. It doesn't say cast your burden on the Lord and then just sort of dust your hands off and that's fine. I'm not carrying it anymore. No, it's God is going to, he's, he's going to take it for us, but he's going to have us to continue to move forward. We're not just, we're not done at that point. There's still going to be difficulty ahead. It's not just, I prayed about it. I prayed a lot about it. Morning, noon, and night. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. I cast the burden. I don't have to do anything. No. God still calls us to walk in humility, to walk in love in all of these circumstances. And he will sustain us when we feel like we can't do it. And when we feel like we're slipping, we can take courage from verse 22. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. The Apostle Peter, when he's trying to encourage the, the, the early church with his letter in, in 1 Peter, he quoted Psalm 55 when he said, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
Jesus has taken our sin. He has, we have cast our sin on him. And we also can cast all of our burdens, all of our suffering on him as well. Verse 23 says, but you, O God, will cast them down. I'm going to cast my burden onto you, Lord, and you are going to cast down those who are trying to destroy me into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. So the psalmist here, he, he wants to escape and he acknowledges it. He feels powerless to bring justice, so he calls on God to bring divine justice. And he regularly commits his concern to the Lord in prayer. Loved ones, this is what we are to do. We aren't to run because God has said, God will never permit the righteous to be moved. We, we might feel like our only option is running. It's not our only option. Especially if we're only thinking about what we're running from. We've got to consider what we're running to. We've got to run to the throne of God and make sure that we're not being moved. We're going to respond this morning by singing a song uh, together. And um, it's a song that uh, Jameson wrote that's really ministered to me. I know it's ministered to a number of people in our church family. It's a song that reminds us of who God is and why we can trust in him. It, it says, from beginning to end, through the waves and the wind, you are sure. That even in the midst of the storm, we might want to flee away from it like a dove, but God is sure. Then it says, when I'm pulled and when I'm pressed, Lord, in you I will rest. You are sure. And maybe you came in here today carrying a heavy burden. Maybe you came in here today thinking that I just got to run. There, there's no other choice for me. We'll use this song as an opportunity for you to run to the throne of God. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, Lord. I know there are many people who are feeling desperate, who are feeling anxious right now in this moment, who are carrying burdens that seem unbearable. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to be so faithful and so strong in this moment. Lord, I pray that you would do a, a work in our hearts. Fill us with faith. Fill us with, with a, a, a greater understanding of who you are. Lord, may we say, like the psalmist says, that you hear our voice, Lord. Even as we sing these truths, Lord, as we sing them to you, as we sing them to one another, as a reminder, God, I, I pray that we would trust you in the midst of the wind and in the, midst of the, in the midst of the waves, Lord, that you are sure that when we're pulled and when we're pressed, that we would find our rest in you. Lord, we pray for your help in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.